Well, good morning, Mercy Road. It is my privilege today to be the one to bring us into God's Word. But in case we haven't met, whether you're online or in person, thank you for joining us. Mike said, and I just want to celebrate too, we were kind of giddy this week um, when we came together as a staff and, and looked at the pictures and, and talked about last Sunday. We were so joyous. I, I went home and just full of energy and excitement. And, and I hope that's true of you too. I, I think when someone says yes to the Lord and, and then out of obedience to the Lord uh, enters the water of baptism, I, I just think God just says amen and thank you, brother. Thank you, sister. For entering those waters. And so we got to do that together last week. We are in a series that's titled, There Will Be Giants. And the title of today's message is, The Giant of Mercy. And if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you. We're going into 2 Samuel chapter 9. And we're going to take on the entire chapter 1 through 13. But I want to start with this. We've been looking at there will be giants through the life of David. Uh, up to this point, he's been under Saul, the king of Israel, and David has done everything he can to be faithful and honoring to Saul. We've seen that in his life. Mike did a beautiful job of, of helping us see that picture the last couple of weeks. Today, and we're going to set up this a little bit, we are entering into 2 Samuel, and David is the king. And we'll talk about how that came about. But in this story that we're about to share, we see a beautiful picture of mercy. God's mercy, but also David's mercy to a young man named Mephibosheth. And yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, poor Carrie here at church. I bet I practiced that a hundred times. And, and my wife heard it a bunch of times too. And I said it about five times this morning, just to make sure. And, and don't hold me to that, but Mephibosheth is pretty close. I, I feel pretty good about it. And um, I was wondering if you'd be like, who on earth is Mephibosheth? And so that's the first thing I want to do is give us some context for the story we're about to share. And to do that, I'm going to take you back a little bit and first look at the lineage that leads us to this young man, Mephibosheth. And I think we have that. We've been talking a lot about King Saul, and David uh, served under Saul. David was the one who slayed Goliath, but Saul was the king, the king of all of Israel. And he had sons, one of them named Jonathan. Some of you may know him. Ironically, he was a dear friend of David. Well, Jonathan had a son, and his son's name was Mephibosheth. And so that's the lineage that gets us to Mephibosheth, but there's more to this story. Mike's done a great job. We've talked about how Saul has been desperately trying to kill David, right? He's been chasing David, and David's been in hiding. And David, being honoring, he doesn't kill King Saul, even when given the opportunity. But during this time, something strange is happening at the same time. Well, Saul is on a manhunt. Saul's son, Jonathan, loves and honors David, his best friend. I think if we got to interview them, they would say, who's the best friend you had in your life? I think David would say, it was Jonathan. And Jonathan would say, oh, clearly it was David. 
They were loyal like true brothers to one another. And so here's this irony. Jonathan's dad is trying to kill David, who's being loyal and faithful to him. Jonathan is trying to help David stay alive and walk and navigate. He knows through God, but he also knows that David will be the next king. And so he's towing this line. He's being honoring to his father, but he's also trying to help David, his dear best friend, stay alive. Well, a day finally comes when the Philistines once again attack the Israelites. And in this battle, the Philistines close in on King Saul and his sons. And the Bible tells us that they approach and kill three of Saul's sons, and then they pursue Saul himself, and they severely wound him. It's so bad that, that Saul decides to take his own life, and so he, he falls on his own spear because he doesn't want to be captured and tortured. And so King Saul dies, and three of his sons die. And the reason I tell you this is it's in this place that word gets back to the camp, that, that at the battlefront, someone runs back and tells people, Saul is dead, Jonathan is dead, and at this point, Mephibosheth is five years old. So a nurse scoops up Mephibosheth, and takes him and tries to flee. Well, while this is happening, she drops him. And the Bible tells us that both of his feet get crippled. And so Mephibosheth is crippled. And the question that first pops into your head is, why is she so desperate to flee? Why does she scoop up Mephibosheth and try to get out of there and panic? Well, if we could go back to that time, it, when a king was victorious, what was so common at that time was for them to kill the entire royal family of the defeated, to, to wipe out specifically the sons, but sometimes entire households. And, and the reason seems so cruel, but there is logic in battle. The, the, the one reason they do it is it sent a powerful message. Your new king is powerful, and he has power over your kingdom entirely. And so don't mess around. You, you toe the line. If I give an order, you've got to follow. That's one reason is it was intimidating. It was a powerful sign that, that I am in control. But, but the second thing is, is it, through lineage, it was the most common way for kingship to get passed. And, and so if you destroyed the lineage of the king that was defeated, you really help protect against an uprising. Because if it was likely to happen, it would be through the family of the one who was defeated. And so you take out the family, you reduce the risk of an uprising. So the nurse says, I've got to take Mephibosheth and I've got to get out of here. And so she flees with Mephibosheth to protect his life. Well, seven years... After Saul's death, David becomes king over all of Israel. For a time, he's king only of Judah, but finally, the kingdom unites once again, seven years after Saul's death, under David. And if you had time, and I encourage you to go back a little bit before our reading, 
David is amazingly blessed in this period. He, he wins battle after battle after battle. And, and it is clear that he is honoring God and God is blessing him. Mike tells the story that we, we write these messages with a pastor, Tom Bennett from California. He, he wrote in his notes that I went over this week, he said, this may be the pinnacle moment in David's entire kingship. Like, like he's on right here. He is honoring God. His heart is right. His motives are pure. And, and I just want to share one verse which gives us a real sense of this. It's 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 15. David reigned over all of Israel, doing what was just and right for all his people. He, he was a king who reigned over all of Israel, but he did what was just, and he did what was right, not just to royalty, but to all of the people that God put under his kingship. The widows, the orphans, he, he reached out and he loved and he showed mercy and he cared for and he did what was right. And I believe it's why God blesses his king, kingdom so profoundly in these early years. And so that is the backdrop for this incredible act of mercy that we're going to read. And I'll read it out loud for us. 2 Samuel 9, verse 1. David asked, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? Your servant, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? the king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodeber. So King David had him brought from Lodeber, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, the son of David, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Just want to pause for a second. I believe it's very likely in this moment that Mephibosheth isn't sure if he's there to have his head cut off or to, to be a slave, to be an example, or to be loved on and shown mercy. I, I think he has no idea what's about to take place. And, and so David says, don't be afraid, for surely I will show kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is it, uh, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belongs to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. 
Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, and he was crippled in both feet. That is God's word to us today. And now you know why I practice Mephibosheth so much this week. It is um, a beautiful story of God's mercy and David's mercy being demonstrated to us. And so I want to start with this premise. When we look at the giant of mercy and we look at the mercy of David to this young man, Mephibosheth, I want it to help us point to and foreshadow God's mercy and God's love for you and for me seen in Christ Jesus. Because I think this is a beautiful picture of foreshadowing of God's love in our lives through Christ Jesus. So if you have a bulletin, I'm going to start right here. And this is our first point where mercy is in action in David's life. First, David's love for Jonathan moved him to show mercy to Mephibosheth. I'm drawing this right from the first verse. David asked, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? I mean, think about this. David loved Jonathan like a brother, like a best friend. In fact, I'm sure they were best friends. Even though Jonathan's dad, King Saul, was desperately trying to kill David. David still wanted to show mercy and kindness to Saul's family for the sake of his dear friend, Jonathan. He was going to show kindness because he loved Jonathan like a brother. And I believe it's a beautiful foreshadowing of this. God's love, God's love for us moved him to show mercy to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? The folks who come from previously cross of Christ will know I put this verse up every possible chance I get. It's my favorite verse in the entire Bible. If I had to surmise the Bible and, and God's love for us, I would go to this one place. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You want to talk about mercy on display? It came through Christ and God's love presented in his sacrifice on the cross for us. Just to give us some sense of this, I want to read Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. The Apostle Paul writes, Once you, once I, we were alienated from God and were enemies in your own minds because of your evil behavior. But now he, the Lord, has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. <laughs> Do you see what's in that text? Through God's love and mercy for us, 
He sent his son to die, to reconcile us while we were still enemies, while we were still broken sinners. He didn't wait for us to get right. He came through Christ to make us right. And it's through the blood of Jesus that we are holy in God's sight. It's through the blood of Jesus that we appear before him without blemish and without accusation. Folks, the crazy, ridiculous, reckless love of God, his mercy for us, is demonstrated in Christ Jesus and the sacrifice that he made on the cross for us. He left the 99 to chase after the one lost sheep. That's love, and that's mercy for us, even in our brokenness. In our story, the second demonstration of mercy from David towards Mephibosheth is this. David took Mephibosheth and treated him like family. I'm drawing from 2 Samuel 9:11. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. He treated him like a son. I don't think we can understand the privilege that King David gave to Mephibosheth. To eat at the king's table once would have been ridiculous. But to have a chair at the table anytime you want to come is through the roof. Ridiculous. And David said to Mephibosheth, I am treating you like you're one of my own sons. There is a place at my table any and every time you want to come. And I think we don't totally understand. The text doesn't build this out for us, but I think I'm on safe ground here. It's very likely David got a lot of flack for this. If you read the story of David, several of his sons have a struggle with their father, David. That their, their relationships are far from perfect. And I'm guessing when he put a place at the table for Mephibosheth, some of his sons said, Dad, are you nuts? That's Saul's grandson. He was trying to kill you. Why on earth would you put a place at the table for him? Of all people, Saul's family at our table. This stinks. I cannot believe you're doing this. But I'm betting it went further than that. We talked earlier that, that the common practice was when someone was trying to destroy you and, and they're defeated or, or killed and you're the next king, that the common practice was to, ro- to wipe out the family so there would be no, no risk to your kingship of, an, of a rebellion. But David does just the opposite. He takes the grandson of his enemy, Saul, and he puts him at his table. All the time he wants to come, you have a place just like one of my sons. I'm guessing his advisor said, David, this is a bad move. You are showing weakness. You're showing that that, that." You, you, you just have a weakness and mercy that is demonstrating you're not powerful, you're weak. Don't do this. But David said, I'm going to treat Mephibosheth like he's family. 
And now I want to point to an even greater mercy. Through Christ, we have become true children of God. It's not as though we're like family. We are family. We are sons and daughters in Christ Jesus to the Lord on high. John 1, verse 12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, and we're talking about receiving Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We're children of God. We are daughters. We are sons through Christ Jesus. It's not like we're family. We are family. David, in his love and mercy, treated Mephibosheth like family. And that's a beautiful act of mercy. But God went way further. And through Christ Jesus and his death and our acceptance and belief in him, we are children of God. Number three, David promised Mephibosheth a place at his table. Look at verse 10 again. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. We talked about this earlier. The, the privilege that David gave to Mephibosheth, opening this door and saying, your table, my table is always there for you. As long as I'm king, Mephibosheth, you will be welcomed at my table. When David extended this invitation to Mephibosheth, he was probably the most powerful king on earth. <laughs> we talked about it, and you can read about it. Everybody who went after Israel, who tried to defeat Israel, was defeated at this moment in his kingship. I don't believe there was a more powerful kingdom on earth than the kingdom of Israel in this moment. And so here is that king saying, Mephibosheth, there's always a place for you at my table. Armies tried to defeat them, but the most powerful king on earth said, I'm always available to you, Mephibosheth, always. Well, you'll be at my table. Well, this is beautiful and it's merciful, but there's a greater mercy given to us in this way. We have a promised place in God's house that is being prepared for us. Amen? I, I go to this place <laughs> in Scripture for almost every funeral I do because I think this picture is, is so powerful. It's so important. Jesus was trying to prepare his disciples for the day that he would no longer be with them he didn't want them to worry. He didn't want them to freak out because he knew he was going to die on the cross, but he also knew that he would go to be with his father after his death and resurrection. And so he wants to paint a picture for them for what's coming. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. He says, don't worry. And then he says this, John 14, verse 2. My father's house, Jesus said, has many rooms. If it were not so... Would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. David's mercy was extended to Mephibosheth 
for, for the time that David remained king, which was not indefinite. We know, because we have the history, that his son Solomon would become king next, but there were no guarantees. And so he was going to have a place at the table as long as David was king. Well, God's mercy that he extends to us through Christ Jesus is everlasting. It's everlasting. Those of us who embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will have a place in God's house, not just for a lifetime, but for eternity. Because when we die, Jesus says, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, and don't worry. Because if I go and prepare that place, I'm going to come back and take you to be where I am. And that home is eternal. And that home is with the Lord. And that home demonstrates the amazing love and mercy of God for us. So we have this beautiful picture plopped into Scripture in 2 Samuel chapter 9. It's so interesting. If you read 2 Samuel, it, it seems a little out of place, but I am now convinced it's not. David, at the epitome of his kingship, loves God, and he loves all the people, and he brings justice, and he brings mercy, and he cares for the broken and the widowed, and those that most kingships would just run over. And God blesses him. And then we see this story of Mephibosheth to share it in a very personal and intimate way. What does mercy look like in the life of one who loves God? And we see this story. So here's the question for us as we speak about the giant of mercy. How does this apply to us? What does the giant of mercy look like in your life and my life? Well, I want to start with what it costs, because it costs something. Mercy costs us something. Mercy is sacrificial. David took a risk. He put a place at the table for the grandson of his enemy, the, the man who wanted to kill him. And I am sure he caught slack probably from his own family and probably from his leadership team. And they said, what are you thinking? You see, mercy costs us something. David sacrificially loved on Mephibosheth despite the risk. God paid a huge price in extending mercy to you and to me. And the price was his son. He, he sent his son who lived and died on a cross for us. That's mercy in its greatest, most profound truth. God sent in his son to die on the cross, to take the weight of all of our sin. And folks, as hard as we try, I don't think we can understand what it was like to be separated from his father because he had to do this in his humanity and take on the weight of all of our sin. And nail it to the cross. And, and that is the love and the mercy that God extended to us through his son. Can you imagine sending your son to die on the cross for a whole bunch of messed up, goofed up people who, who didn't get their life together and then you sent? No, 
in their brokenness, in their enemy statehood, in their separation, in their fighting to keep God at arm's length, God sent his son to die for us. That's the love and the mercy of God, but it costs him a lot. And finally, I want to just be as practical as possible. What does it look like for us? And I didn't want to speculate. God begins to paint a roadmap for us through Christ and Christ's teaching. Mercy looks like this. Matthew 5, verse 44. Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Jesus is asked, how many times? Peter says, how many times should I forgive my brother who sins against me? Up to seven? And Jesus says, no, forgive your brothers and sisters who sin against you, not once, but 70 times seven times. Jesus is basically saying, you need to be an unending forgiver. You see, the only way this can happen is through the love and mercy of God in us. There's no way in my flesh I could forgive like that. And I promise you, if you know me, I don't extend love and mercy to enemies without the help of the Lord. And I'm guessing that's true of you too. We can't do this outside of God. We can't through this do this outside of his power and his spirit at work in us. But I am 100% convinced that he can give us the strength to live out these commands and demonstrate the love and mercy of our Father to the world around us. So just let me close with this. When we serve and we love the brokenhearted, when we forgive instead of getting even, when we show kindness to people who look at the world entirely different than we do, we are demonstrating, we are fulfilling the call to show love and mercy to those that God has put in our lives. Think about this. Roughly 3,000 years ago, David extended mercy to a young man named Mephibosheth. And God brought it into Scripture. He brought it into the very word that he would give us so we could read this story and we could reread this story and we could share this story and we could celebrate this story and then we could think about what does it look like to apply this in our own lives? How do we love and show mercy to the person and persons that God puts into our lives this week? First and foremost, David is a beautiful picture. In this moment, and we're going to see his flaws revealed powerfully in just a couple weeks. But in this moment, he is centered on God, and God's mercy is spilling out of him. And we see a beautiful picture that we can contend to live out ourselves. Amen? Will you pray with me? Lord God, I thank you 
I thank you that in the middle of this celebration of, of victories and, and, and David leaning in and, and, and showing justice and mercy and righteousness to the people, all of his kingdom, not just the rich and famous, but the poor and the broken, that you blessed him. And then, through his love and mercy to Mephibosheth, we see this beautiful foreshadowing of your love and your mercy for us in Christ Jesus. Lord, first, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, may it not only fill us and encourage us, but may it strengthen us to extend that same love and mercy to the world around us. Lord, we need you to do this. May your power and your spirit be present and evident as we extend mercy to the world around us. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs>